Welcome to Talking Not Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. You've dropped in our current topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today our episode is Speed Round Take Two. So let's set this up. Greg and I have been friends for a long time. We are having some technical difficulties today. And Greg just got back from vacation and he has yawned about 17 times since we started talking about 30 minutes ago. We had a bit of a development meeting, a kind of a catch-up meeting, and uh, I think he's having trouble getting back into the swing of things. Well, this is about the time I should be on the beach um, uh, reading a book and slowly falling asleep, so I, I apologize in, in advance. So we have no way of giving him a nudge if he drifts off. So if I seem to be hogging the conversation a little later into this episode, Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know what's happened. That's that's it. That's it. So let's continue on here. I think we need to hurry a little bit to make sure we keep Greg with us. But uh, we've both been managers for a long time. We've both benefited from other people assisting us in our management development. In every episode, we're going to discuss a situation where we and others have missed the mark. And we're also going to start at the perspective of the employee and we're going to discuss how we have observed others successfully manage the situation. And uh, we're always going to have a good discussion. Even when Greg is a little sleepy, we will have a good discussion. We might actually have a better one. You don't know. You never know. So today, um, you know, we've been having all sorts of discussions uh, for over a year now. And we've been dealing with one topic every week, although quite often those topics go all over the place. And on several occasions, we've been joined by guests who've just added to the conversation. So this week, we're going to do something a little different, which we have done once before, which I guess doesn't really make it that different. We're going to take a number of issues and questions and we're going to rapid fire. And when I say rapid fire, that really doesn't mean anything to us because we will talk a question as long as we need to. So I don't think we've ever had a sense of urgency on this podcast, Greg. No, but rapid fire sounds so exciting. It does. It does, right? So uh, we're going to go through a series of questions. Uh, Greg and I are going to go back and forth on them. And uh, this is just a way to cover a little bit more ground and give you a little bit more, uh, have us talk about our experience a little bit more and find out whether we agree on something or disagree on something. And I think our contrasting backgrounds are going to come out in something like this. I agree. That's where my money is, but I've been wrong before. So the speed round, take two. First question. Have you taken good lifelong friends away from your various workplaces? This is a good one. You know, um, I would say that for me, generally, no. Although I was reflecting upon this question and the times that I have were the times when I had deep, meaningful experiences at work. So I think there is a little bit of a connection there. So first one is when I was a kid, uh, you know, when I worked at Sears uh, and it was a gathering, right? We were all teenagers. That was like, I still have friends from that time that we still hang around. And, and then there were other jobs, the most that I'll talk about a little bit later, but Campbell's Soup, where we really... Uh, had meaningful impact in the marketplace and where I really felt that I was able to contribute deeply to something beyond myself and even beyond the organization. And in those ones, there is a deep friendship across years. And so it's interesting. So that would have been the main time when I took uh, 
lifelong friends. And, and I was thinking about this because my wife, Josette, is completely different. She has friends from work. They still get together for even while COVID, not as much right now, but for lunches, for uh, co different connections a couple times during the year. And again, theirs was actually less about growth and commitment and purposefulness. It was actually around tough situations that they work through together. But I think they both have that common theme around uh, places where there was, there was above and beyond bond that occurred. Wow, that was not speed round. That was like long, uh, long, uh, long round. Well, we're not paying by the minute, so it's all good. <laughs> I think for me, I've always enjoyed working in like partnerships or small teams. I would say that from every situations I've worked in, I've always taken away a friendship. Now, we might not talk to each other for years, but uh, if we start chatting on the phone or we bumped into each other, within seconds, we're back in that place and that time. And uh, I worked in a group home like 34 years ago, and I've been talking to one of the people, I've been talking to actually two people over the last couple of years that I worked with in that situation. And it's just like we we're back there. It's like we're sitting in the kitchen with a cup of tea chatting again. And I have a lot of those types of relationships where, uh, you know, there's a, a friend of mine from the police and, you know, we go to lunch once a year, maybe. And we're, we're nattering like crazy within seconds. And you just mm -hmm. pick up where you left off. And I've always, I've worked in a bunch of partnerships and those partnerships don't really go outside of work. But I would say that we're really good friends. It's just they're friends from work. And, you know, there's a couple of people that I see a little bit outside of work. But most of the people I've had just great friendships with at work, they're just work friends. And you know, it isn't like we go out to dinner or as couples go out or anything like that. That just seems to be where that friendship is. And I've always been okay with it. And I find a lot of people that I have those types of relationships with it. They're okay with it too. Uh, I don't know about your life, Greg, but mine is really complicated. I have so many circles in my life and I don't think I do justice to anybody at any one time. And that's just the way it is, you know, living in the greater Toronto area with all the things I'm involved in. I sometimes feel bad that I can't give certain people more time because I enjoy their company, but that's what I find. You know, I've always said, uh, somebody told me once and I've told a few other people this, if you walk away from a really good work situation and you have one really good friend out of that, you're blessed. And uh, I can see that. Well, you know what? It's interesting. Gallup years ago did a uh, Q12 survey, which became the premier engagement survey in the world. And one of the questions was, do you have a best friend at work? And people kind of said, why do they talk about a best friend at work? But when they talk about a best friend at work, they talk about someone who has your back, someone who you do have a deeper connection with someone that you can like you talked about you might not go on vacation with but you know when you connect with you connect with them and i think it's interesting this comment especially now in COVID. i had a conversation with someone this morning that um they are getting really really worried about the next wave and about an inability to come back into the office in some way and their worry is around that they've lost the sense of community. Because if you can't hang out, even if it isn't full time, you're losing that sense of community. And I think what we talked about here in the relationships that we had, it's about community. It doesn't mean, again, best 
best friends go on vacation, but it does mean that there's trust and it does mean that there is a shared connection, a shared um, experience. And I think people are getting worried about, uh, you know, fully remote. Can you really have those shared experiences? It's that feeling of belonging, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. I'm not sure if we answered the question, but I think we have certainly given it enough time. So let's move on to number two. Best role you've ever had and why? Yeah, so I will definitely go back. This is my wife, Josette, calls my bubble period when I worked for Campbell's Soup. And um, the reason why that was my best role is, first of all, I worked for a boss who gave me lots of space, who valued my opinion. Secondly, it was with a product that I loved and believed in and cared about and could could talk to people about. And thirdly, yeah, um, we did some great work around purpose and and creating something more meaningful. And when you're a part of that and you're able to um, really contribute to the world, frankly, because uh, it's food, and we'll talk a little bit later about you know the idea of volunteering in in uh, in workplaces, but it had everything. And uh, I, I worked there for 14 years, and um, and Josette kind of laughed, and she said it was a bubble period. You don't have what you had anywhere else, and it was that high level of trust, my ability to impact, and, uh, and especially towards and forge something that I believed in. Those are the things that made that my uh, my 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 best role. So I think for me, uh, and I've kind of mentioned it already, I worked in a group home for four years and I started working there right after high school because I had no idea who and what I wanted to be. And somebody gave me an opportunity and I was not qualified, although I'd had some experience uh, in kind of the social service world. And those four years, the first two years and then the, the following two years, I actually was going to university and working there at the same time, both of them almost full time. Uh, which accounts for my marks. But uh, that experience, it was the clients, is developmentally handicapped adolescents. And I worked with uh, just a great group of people in a bunch of different settings. And the money was not great, although it was part-time. Uh, I could almost work as much as I wanted. But that experience for me, working with those people, with those clients... Now, it's a burnout job. You can't do it forever. I did it for four years, and uh, then I had an opportunity to join the police, and which was kind of a boyhood dream. But I have to say, working at that group home uh, was one of my favorite experiences. Uh, I learned a lot about myself, about people, about, uh, you know, some of these clients, they cracked me up. Some of them had terrible stories. I learned so much. There's so many things I learned from that situation. And I got to say, that was probably the most enriching uh, experience I've ever had. And it's something I've never forgotten. And, you know, I have bumped into these two people, uh, one in person, one over um, uh, Messenger. And it just brought, flooded all these these memories back to me. And it's just, I just really appreciate the experience. I really appreciate the people that took a risk with me and allowed me to work in that environment. And I learned so much. And I think it, it made me grow up and really think, uh, what was important to me. So yeah, no, I, uh, when we were talking about these questions and stuff like this is, this is probably my favorite question. No, well, it's interesting because such a powerful 
opportunity at a young age to uh, work in a community uh, with people that are different from you and to really understand the gifts of those differences and, and also to appreciate what you have uh, and, and to work in a, in a diverse community. I like, I like how those things are just so foundational um, that, that uh, we don't necessarily all have those. Often we're raised in our little bubbles and we don't get those experiences. And I think that I can see uh, it in your, in your face and also in your voice how impactful that was for all the rest of your career too. And probably made you a better police officer, a better parent, a better, uh, uh, a better spouse, a better friend. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. Yeah, no, it was a good time. And I think uh, uh, from my understanding, high school in Ontario, in the province where we both live, there's uh, uh, in grade 12, you have to do some internship of some sort. And I would highly recommend that, uh, especially young men, go into these situations because it gives you a whole different set of skill sets. Like you just have to adjust and stuff. And there's a bunch of different things uh, that you can do that can make you, I think, you know, give you the ability to be a more empathetic, uh, different type of person. And I would always encourage people. I, I think it's pretty funny. I was sitting around a fundraising event. We're going to talk about fundraising in a few minutes. And um, a very senior executive was looking at all the young people. And I just happened to be sitting at the table because I'm not a young person, Greg. And uh, went around and asked where everybody had gone to school. You know, uh, some of these people were accountants, some of them were lawyers, and went around. And uh, the person looked at me and, and kind of threw me the question. Like, I didn't expect it. You know, he was doing exactly what he should have been doing is, you know, bringing in, you know, being a bit of a mentor to, to these younger employees. Alistair, where do you go to school? I went to Rye High. Ryerson. What did you take there? Social work. Conversation ended right there. It was beautiful because I didn't come up through the normal way that people in the organization mm -hmm. I worked did. And it's just, it's pretty funny. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I really like about uh, working in certain places and doing things is a diversity in terms of where people come from, what their skill sets are. And diversity is now taking a bigger meaning as well. And I totally embrace that as well. But uh, these types of experiences, I don't think they're a bad thing because, you know, 20 years down the line, you have to deal with people. Do you have those skill sets? You know, have you had experiences <laughs> yeah. or education in these things? And, and guess what? There's times, especially as a manager, when you need to be able to talk and listen to people, mostly listen <laughs> and, and be able to handle that situation. And, and what do you have to fall back on in experience and education or whatever? And who else on the team could assist you? So I, to me, it was very, I, I think it was uh, something that was very important to me. I agree. I agree. Makes a lot of sense. Would you leave a role if you were unhappy? I would. And I say that now I would, you know, like, uh, honestly, you know, I've talked about, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So I make, I try to make everything uh, look positive, even in myself. And sometimes what happens is when you're in a role uh, or you're, you're in an organization that you're not happy, you kind of, you don't see it, you know, like the frog in the water, you know, analogy where it just starts to boil and you don't realize it's too late almost. And so I have had situations where I should have left earlier and I didn't. Um, but I think as I've gotten older and as I've learned from a lot of millennials and generation Zers that, that um, why, why stay? And I'll tell you with the talent crisis right now, even today, first day back after vacation, 
I've had three different conversations with people saying, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. I'm not sure I want to go back. Uh, on the weekend, I talked to someone who works in a university, and she said that 15 of their managers have chosen not to return um, because they don't want it anymore. And, you know, for, they're fortunate, they're older, but they're of all ages. And they're saying, I, I'm unhappy and I'm not going to put myself back into that situation. I want to find someplace that's more connecting to where I want to be. So I would say probably historically, I have not left, but now, huh, I, I would, I would definitely, you know, life is too short. And I think that's a big thing that people have learned through this uh, COVID situation. Well, I have, and I have no problem making that decision, pulling the trigger. I think the first time I, I did it, uh, I was in the police service. Uh, my first three years was up, so I'd, I'd, I'd been reclassified a couple of times. So it was a first class, uh, like full member. And uh, one of the old guys pulled me aside. And the station that I was working at, uh, it was an old boys club. And every six months or a year in the specialty squads and offices, they just changed. And very few people got to break into that. And uh, uh, an older supervisor pulled me aside, said, Alistair, get out of here. Okay. A friend of mine had gotten promoted and went downtown and I went downtown and four months after I arrived at a station downtown, I was in frauds for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so that taught me as I went along in my career, if I ended up up against a wall or maybe it's like, okay, I've kind of done this. I'm looking around. What else do I need to learn how to do? Cause that's what policing is all about. Learning how to do things, different things, mm -hmm. working with different people, taking advantage of everything, especially when you worked in a big organization that I did, that there were so many avenues and I probably did this four or five times. It's like, okay, or a new boss comes in. Yeah, I'm not down with this. Uh, this isn't really what I'm looking for. I left. I've probably done this five or six times. And it's all nice. It isn't like yelling and screaming. It's just, no, I'm good. I'm good. And uh, I was fortunate. I had some room to wiggle and, and things like that. And once you learn how to, you get an aptitude for certain things and people realize you will, can do certain things, a lot of doors open up. So I have, I've never had a problem doing this. And I've been rewarded uh, by doing it uh, just by experience. And it's not like I figured this out. I mean, somebody gave me some really good advice once and uh, it was a good go. And so I have no qualms whatsoever about uh, saying, uh, listen, I'm moving on. And uh, yeah. and you, ha you have to handle the conversation a certain way because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You, certain don't, you certainly don't want to burn any bridges. We're not here to crap all over people. But there's times when it's time to go. And uh, I've, I've learned that really quickly that uh, there's a benefit to it. And especially if you're not, um, there's some people that do it. I've seen people do it and it's like, you know, screw you guys, I'm leaving and blah, blah, blah. And you know what, that's just not the way to do it. You do it because you know what, I need to go. This is the right decision. And, uh, you know, you're polite to people as honest as you can be with people and just move on. Yeah, you know what, a couple of things that are bubbling up for me in this question is, first of all, one is know what you want. You know, I do a lot of work in my coaching and safe, brave circles and a number of other things of creating what I call a being me profile, which is really about, you know, what am I good at? What do I love? How do I like to work best? What gets in my way and what do I really want to accomplish? And, and knowing that as a foundation is really helpful for you then to review where you're at and whether or not it's contributing to what I want to do 
so that's number one, I would say, is do that work. Doesn't have to be complicated, but really know what you love. Uh, know know that what you bring, you know, and those kinds of things. The other thing I would say is always have an inner circle. So when you are unhappy and you're thinking of leaving a, leaving a role, have one or two people that have a shared heart that care for you, but are also willing to tell you like it is. Uh, and, and to be able to have that group, you can say, hey, you know, like you'd be one of those people, Ashtar, for me. This is what I'm thinking of doing. I'm really unhappy. When I think about what I love to do and where I contribute, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Is there anything that I've missed um, or any advice that you would give me? And then those that tight inner circle is going to help you when that because it can be a big, big decision to leave a role. Uh, but equally important, it's a big decision to stay in a role that makes you completely unhappy. And on my side of things, I think mentorship was more important than the inner circle. Uh, I, as I think back over these situation, uh, it was the mentorship thing that was important to me. Uh, I appreciate the inner circle. Uh, it's probably not as important to me as it is to you. But I think whatever situation you're in, whether you have a, a, a mentor, uh, whether it's a situational one or like a real mentor that, you know, there's a long-term relationship or an inner circle like you, you know, realize what you have and appreciate that advice and support. I agree. I think that's awesome. I have both, but mentors are really great because they're fully outside the circle normally. And, and they're usually more experienced and they can bring great wisdom. I think it's a great idea. Uh, have you ever ha had to walk away from a role where you worked with a good friend? Yeah, for sure. You know, I was thinking back to the Campbell's job, um, uh, the president and I became really good friends and still are. It's one of those ones that we have that shared from that first question. And we were doing great work, but in my role, globally, it was being, a lot of things were being centralized. So I was finding that I didn't have the freedom to do as much as I wanted to do. And so it really had nothing to do with the Canadian role. Um, and we had created something great as a leadership team together. Um, but I knew that it was time, or at least I felt it was time. And so, but I had a really open conversation with him and said, okay, here's kind of where I am. Here's where I'm going. Here's what I'm thinking of doing. Here's the opportunity that's been provided for me. It was very uh, open and transparent, and that helped a lot, but it still made it tough because I felt that I was letting him and the rest of the team down by, um, by uh, moving into this other opportunity. So I, I was working with a friend of mine, and uh, I lament this relationship. Uh, the dynamics between the two of us changed because of a promotion. And what turned from a, a crime-fighting uh, duo to uh, something else. Um, and uh, despite some pushback from me, things got worse and I walked. I went somewhere else and this is somebody that I, uh, I really appreciated, that I respected. And when that dynamic changed, uh, I think the expectations changed on one side, not mine. And, and uh, it became a little less than it was before. And... Uh, I don't jump ship easy, but, um, uh, an opera, you know, I was told there was, there was, uh, another opportunity to work with another partners, you know, another partnership. And I went fine. And I lament, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for the decision I made, but I think it was necessary for my happiness. And, uh, Greg, I just like to work. I don't want to get involved in any crap. 
I just like to put my head down, get things done, work with people, work in good teams and, and solve the problem, whatever that is. Ended up working with somebody else that cared less, could care less about the dynamics of the situation. And we just did good work and that was fun. Every time I've had to leave a, a partnership because of a promotion or one of us got moved or whatever, it's it's a difficult thing. And this this is the this is kind of my sweet spot, right? Working with another person or in a small team. And you know, relationships, partnerships end all the time because of whatever. This one I, I chose. Uh, there was an opportunity and I kind of went, okay, I, I'm out. And it was difficult, but sometimes you have to do what you you have to do. And uh, in the end, um, that decision in terms of career and uh, opportunities, uh, it gave me a lot more. And uh, maybe it's time was done anyway. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because uh, I, you know, I think there are different roles that I've shifted. Um, and you know, I think back what would have happened if I would have stayed or done those things, those type of things. There's always things that you could definitely consider. Um, but I do think where possible, um, be transparent. Uh, really important to be clear as to the why you're doing what you're doing and what it will do, where it will lead you. Uh, and then I think the other thing is to your point, uh, you know, you can lose friends over this because sometimes we're relational beings and sometimes it's tough to take and you don't understand and, or you, you can't share everything and uh, it can be tricky, but um, uh, you know, in the end, you got to make your decision and uh, you got to go with that decision. Most frustrating experience. Hmm. There's a couple that jumped to mind and in the, the common theme of both of those experiences were bosses with big egos um, that would blow up uh, and scream at situations that were smart, both smart, but thought that they knew everything. Um, and I'm a relational person and I believe in the power of building trust and uh, screaming and, and physically aggressive moves and stances, you know, those just turn me right off. And I, uh, I get so frustrated in those situations. And I end up being the person who tries to save the relationships of others who are having to get impacted from this. And that's never good for me. Um, so those would be the two most frustrating experiences where you had um, folks that were really not self-aware and very aggressive and thought that they had all the answers and that was their responsibility to actually tell everybody what to do versus creating the space for people to contribute. Those were, I had two situations throughout my career that were, were in those situations and both I left fairly quickly. So, you know, kind of combines with some of the conversations uh, there. I still didn't leave quick enough with one of them um, and it almost killed me. Uh, but um, the, uh, the other one, I did make a choice and moved fairly quickly and lots of other people moved as well. So it was like a, uh, it was like a, an, a mass exit because of one person who was just, but that person was the, the, the head person. So, so interesting. My frustrating experiences are people that are senior with me. So probably four or five times 
whether I was a worker or I was a supervisor or a manager, all my frustrating experiences are the same. The people above me can't get along. And mm -hmm. uh, like I've said it a few minutes ago, I just like to work. I don't care about the crap. I just want to get things done. I want to have a good experience with the people I'm working with. And then I want to go home. I'm good. In all the things that I've done, you just don't work for one person. You know, you have, there's big problems and you have to deal with different people. <laughs> I remember once in the police, you know, talking to a, a supervisor, a senior supervisor in another section within a group that I work and, you know, uh, I didn't know you had a job open. Well, we have agreement that we don't poach each other's people because we don't get along. I said, I don't care if you guys don't get along. You know, I should have the same opportunities as anybody outside of this, you know, this group to go for a job. And uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, I'm right, but it's too late, isn't it? So I think um, there's a, a lesson to be learned here. People, you got to get along. Like even if you can't stand somebody and you totally disagree about something, there's got to be something you can agree on. Maybe for, you know, maybe that's the best interests of the people that work for you. I, you know, I need somebody to lead me and uh, I need to, you know, feel comfortable to come forward and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. This is what we plan on doing. Do you have any input or, or are you good with that or whatever? And I don't want to be messed around and, you know, it, it's just, it's just not a good work environment. Wow. Yeah, that can be frustrating. And, and, you know, you set the tone of the whole organization if you're a senior leader. So if you can't learn to get along, uh, then then the, it, it creates dysfunction throughout the organization yeah. um, because no one shows up, no one is honest because they're afraid of what they're stepping into. So, uh, wow, that's tough. I remember walking away from a situation as a rookie in the police department and I was, I was with a senior guy and like we got caught in the middle of something. And I go, did we do something wrong? He goes, it's not about us. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. So we went off and off we went. But yeah, th this is not an, you know, especially if you get into the enforcement field, it's, it's you know, you talked about people that think they know everything and, you know, they're very aggressive and stuff like that. When you said that, I said, oh, okay, I know some of those people. But this is something, you know, maybe we need to do, uh, uh, hey, this might be another topic. We'll have to think about that. But uh, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's something that happens out there and I, I don't think it's an uncommon experience. Yeah, yeah I agree. So, um, do you think fundraising and volunteering has a role in the workplace? And if so, how have you been involved in it, Greg? I would say definitely. Uh, and really, it. Um, I've mentioned this on earlier podcasts that uh, one of the key reasons people come and stay in organizations is alignment to purpose. You know, what is the organization? What do they stand for? What do they do? And one of the best ways to reinforce that is to align uh, your um, organization to uh, volunteer activities that that really make a difference. So my best example, again, is going back to Campbell Soup. Seems like they're all there, but uh, no, actually also uh, Porter Airlines, there was a good one too. Why aren't you back at Campbell's Soup? Oh my goodness, that's all we've heard about today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it was a moment in time and not sure if it's still there, but for the Campbell's Soup one in particularly, we had like, when I was first started there, we had like a thousand different volunteer opportunities and we narrowed it to align with the purpose of the organization, which was about hunger, alleviating hunger. And so all of our volunteer works were focused on things that also related to what we did and what we made. And again, that just deepened the connection to people. Uh, and, and so it was such a powerful opportunity. At, at Porter Airlines, we partnered with a number of uh, organizations that, that provided free flights 
for people for medical emergencies. So again, it, it connected well with what we did and it was a meaningful impact into the communities that we served. And so I'm a big believer in that we all want to one belong, you said that earlier, but we also want to contribute back to community. We want to make a difference. And so uh, if in your organizational culture, your structure, whatever you can do, you can build in um, fundraising or volunteering that, that actually allows people to impact, um, to find purpose and be part of something bigger than themselves and support community in a, in a, in a way in which they belong with others, man, that's magic. And it can really make a big difference. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. You know, uh, a, a couple of organizations I've been at, we've had volunteer days where we align to a specific charity and we have a volunteer day where we all go out and participate in that, whether it's cleaning up the parks, whether it's uh, serving in the, the, the soup kitchen, whether it's building a place for Habitat for Humanity. You know, actually at one organization that was a uh, distributor of plumbing and electrical and those kinds of things, we it was partnership with uh, Habitat for Humanity. So we actually provided products and we were able to work uh, using those to help a really meaningful um, uh, meaningful charity in the communities that we serve. So again, bang, bang, bang. So I'm a big believer in that. And uh um, think that you want to do it right, but but it's a it's a great way of deepening that relationship, that connection that we talked about um, earlier on. Even from the first question, Alistair, you know, around the lifelong friends, some of those are, uh, you know, I I Campbell Soup, we we did a lot of work with the Daily Red Food Bank, and we would sort food and help in, in those areas, and uh, we still have shared memories of doing that together. So it, it all gets linked. I think it's a great idea. Yet at the same time, I know there's some people that it's not their thing. And I appreciate that. What I like about those people, though, is when they, they'll come out to an event as a participant and will sit there and just drop a $50 bill in the basket or whatever, and then go buy a piece of pizza and off they go. I'm fine with that too. But it's a great way to belong to uh, and create kind of a community. I kind of like feeling uh, if I'm on a team or in an area that we, you know, I like that feeling. And I, Doing these types of things really enhances that. And it's great. I love watching, you know, you'll have a, a fundraising thing, whatever you do at work, whether it's United Way or whatever. And there'll be a meeting and somebody will come in and you know that this was the biggest decision that they've made in months. They're quiet, they're introverted, and they've come out and then they jump onto, you know, one of the committees or whatever, one of the activities. And I love that. And I think this is a great way, especially for those people We've talked a little bit about our personalities. I'm an introvert, but I'm a loud one. Uh, I don't know how that fits into any of the scales that you use, but I love it when somebody shows up at one of these meetings or an event and jumps in and participates because you, you sit there and you go, you appreciate the moment, right? This was really hard for this person and they're looking to feel uh, that they belong and that they can help out. And I love it. I love seeing that when somebody kind of blossoms and it's just a, a great thing for those quieter members of your team or your organization. And plus, I think it's good to do these things, to think about things other than yourself. It's great for the organization. It's great for the culture within the organization. And it's good for everybody that gets involved. And you know what? You make a little money for whatever the cause is and you get to hang out and it's all good. 
you know what and the other thing it does is it dispels um hierarchy and a whole bunch of other things i i, I think i may have told this story before but uh I, when i was working for this this company this distributor uh, it was the head office was actually in london england and this the the head honcho he was like a gazillionaire right and he was like so successful um very formal and his more formal in his approach like accountant background and i remember he came and we were having a uh, charity thing and uh, there's a dunk tank and i mentioned to him i said you know what it'd be pretty cool if you actually went in the dunk tank and i thought well he's not gonna go you know in the dunk tank because he was more formal that type of thing and uh later this afternoon we had a dunk tank and he went to walmart and bought a swimsuit and uh here's this senior executive tall skinny guy coming out with, with beautiful Oxford shining black shoes and socks with a bathing suit on and a, uh, you know, a Canada shirt on uh, into the dunk tank, which was frozen. It changed everything that day because they thought he was like this and he was so smart. He was like, uh, I don't know, a hedge fund kind of guy too. He was like just really smart, but it made him real. And for the the at least the next year or two when he would come people would talk to him they would step up and give their ideas it, just from a dunk tank so uh, there is this powerful thing of uh, of making everybody real in those situations that was so funny i can honestly i closed my eyes i could still see him coming out the door and thinking what the heck man but he, he sat there took off his shoes you know, his thousand dollar shoes, I don't know how much they were, and his socks, fold them in the corner, climbed up into this rickety dunk tank that had minus 50 degree water in it and got sunk. It was awesome. Any event that flips the power dynamic in an organization is a good thing. So if you have like a barbecue or whatever it is, uh, you know, pancakes, whatever it is, you get the bosses there flipping and serving other people it's very significant. It is really good for the organization when you go from being in charge to being the server. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 100%. Have you ever had to walk your boss back? And if so, what happened? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I definitely have pulled um, my various bosses aside and had tough conversations with them. Um, and normally, I think we have used this model before, but it's SBIQ, which is situation, behavior, impact, question, or sometimes people use follow up too. And, and uh, there have been different situations when someone showed up in a way that, that uh, kind of um, uh, can spin the organization the wrong way. Um, or showed up angry and didn't need to be angry. Um, and so often I will use that, I, uh, that technique where I will say, hey, Alistair, when you did this, this is how I felt. And, uh, and, and uh, this is what I interpreted you saying because of what, how you said it. And here's what it made me want to do. Um, I think others felt that same way. And you, uh, I, here's what I would suggest what were you thinking in that area and how that conversation? So I've had a couple of those. Uh, often it's around um, 
uh, high tense situations where someone's just been frustrated and showed up the 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 the, the wrong way. And you know, from there we would uh, we would build ways in which that we could help mitigate that, you know, like, like pull them aside if they had a certain style and approach that they would do. So those are the things that I'm thinking. I'm trying to think of a specific example, but maybe you have a specific example and then maybe I'll think of, of uh, one. By the smile on your face, you've got a goodie. I do. So I was a uniformed constable in a downtown division. I had been in frauds twice. I'd come back uh, and was in a promotional process. And uh, I was working one evening and a supervisor asked if he could have a word with me. So I followed him into the sergeant's office where nothing ever good happens. And he goes, Alistair, I'm very disappointed in you. I don't like that phrase. I think that phrase has so many connotations to it. It's just a poor choice of words, no matter what the situation is. So he started going on about my workload. Now there wasn't a quota, but you were watched, you know, how many radio calls did you do? You know, how many tickets did you give? How many people did you arrest? How many reports did you do? There's a whole bunch of metrics. And, um, you know, if there's problems out there, we got to figure out, you know, who's the best to deal with it. There's just, it's quality assurance. You know, people pay big bucks to have a police service and you got to make sure you're out there solving problems. So he went on and I finally said, listen, could I, could I see the printout? And so I look at the printout and I'd worked nine out of the 28 days because I'd had vacation and I had days off and without explaining the, the, the shift rotation, it made sense. So I, I look at it and I go, nine days I worked, 24 arrests, which sounds like a lot, but I got called into like a mall for shoplifter. And by the time I'm done at that store, I get a call to go to another store. And by the time you're out of there, it's like seven people were caught shoplifting in a mall. And uh, 16 reports, uh, 36 contact cards. So I found somebody in a suspicious circumstance and we had a conversation. I documented it and it just went on and on. And I finally get to the goose egg on this thing. Parking tags, zero. Now, where I started off my police career, there was uh, the, the prevailing opinion was that uh, parking control officers looked after that end of the business, unless there was a complaint and they weren't available, then we as police officers would certainly go and attend and take care of it. And, you know, if there was an ongoing problem and we were directed there, then of course we did it. But the prevailing opinion was that parking control issues were for the parking control uh, section, especially trained, equipped to deal with those things. So I said, I, I don't see a problem with the printout. He said, well, you don't write parking tags. Said, well, I was trained not to. I was trained that, yes, you did that if you needed to. But your job was to, you know, in the middle of the night, patrol plazas, patrol gas stations, uh, you know, go buy donut shops and anything that's open in the middle of the night, make sure everybody's okay, make sure there's no breaking enters going on. It wasn't my job to go around and lay tags in residential neighborhoods while people were sleeping. And I said, oh, well, like, I'm sorry, but where I came from, this was not a priority. And uh, like, if you look at the other end of this form, it's quite obvious that I was incredibly busy in the nine days that I worked. And uh, this, this person went on and I finally said, listen, boss, if you see I'm the first person on scene of a serious call, do you have any reservations whatsoever that that, that call is gonna get handled properly? He goes, of course not, I have full faith in you. Said, well, you know what? We're gonna have to disagree about the parking tags because I'd rather do all this other stuff than pick on some uh, taxpayer that because of some construction or something, somebody had people over 
couldn't park on the right place on their street and you know giving somebody a 50 dollars parking tag in the middle of the night for whatever you know for no reason i'd rather be doing something else and so we just disagreed and i wasn't sure how it was going to go over but i got promoted a couple months later and left the situation anyway but i just found in that situation that uh, you know Number one, it started off with, Alistair, I'm very disappointed in you, when at the end of the conversation, he had full faith in my ability to discharge, uh, you know, my obligations were. And I, I just thought at that time, um, it was kind of a pick on somebody type of event. And I was surprised because we got along really well. And we got along really well after this. I think it was good for our relationship that I, I stood up to him because all he had to tell me was it went in there, he says, listen, Alistair, uh, in the rush hour routes, we're getting a lot of complaints from the shop owners and stuff like that during those rush hours that people are messing up traffic and stuff like that. When you're in the air, in those areas, I need you to put some enforcement out there. And I would have done it 100%, but it didn't come right. from the right place. And so I kind of pushed back and we, you know, we ended up working together later on in another place and it was fine. But in that situation, it was this ridiculous moment and it was approached just a, a, a really bad way. And on the flip side, I got called into an evaluation and there was a comment on my evaluation, which was factually incorrect. And um, I knew there must have been something else going on outside of me, my little world. Because the situation that was mentioned had been dealt with. There was nothing wrong. It was just an ongoing discussion about resources. And so I kind of looked at it and I think that person was expecting pushback from me. But I knew in the bigger scheme of things for me that my situation was good, that this was not going to affect anything. And I did a cost-benefit analysis. You know, should I point out the factual inconsistency? Because the rest of it was fine. And I knew I was going to get, you know, whatever. You know, it really was of no consequence. So I decided not to back them up in that situation because uh, I didn't think it was really going to get anywhere. And uh, I didn't know if somebody was spoiling for a fight, but I decided, you know what? I'm fine with this. Uh, you know, the end result of this process is fine anyway. And I, I thought, you know what? Where I am in the organization, what I'm doing right now, I, I'm moving on anyway, so I'm good. And so I decided not to. I decided to use a little discernment in that situation. And, and just, I, I signed it right there. I went, okay, see you later, bye. And I decided, you know what? Somebody wants to fight and I don't want to fight. We'll talk about it later at some point. And uh, although we never did talk about it, we did have some great talks after that. So I decided, you know, there's times when you need to back somebody up. And, uh, and there's other times when you go, I don't know what's going on in this person's life. I like this person. I really respect them. And whatever's going on, I might, at the I might never really understand what it is, but it's not really going to affect my reality here. So you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that and give them, uh, and not ruin their day. Because, Greg, I don't know if you realize this. I can be really sarcastic and passive aggressive. I've seen that once in a while. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I do think there's really important a couple of points you made that really resonated with me. One was, um, most bosses, if you see something that could get in the way, most bosses want to know about it. And a worse situation, we've talked this in many of our podcasts, that there's an equal opportunity for the employee to share observations and thoughts as long as it's done in a respectful way. To be curious and have discernment as you're bringing those thoughts forward. That's an important aspect of, of that. 
I, I think. So you want to give that feedback for sure. Have you ever been walked back? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and in a good way, again, it's equally important when someone, uh, and I've told this story, I think at least on one podcast where, you know, I went into a meeting and I was full of fire and, and kind of giving that my, my uh, ideas and passionate and someone said, whoa, whoa, slow down, man you know, in a, in a very respectful manner. Uh, and I've told that story before where, uh, the, the young person said, you know, you have lots of energy, but because of your energy, sometimes you leave people in the dust. And so, uh, make sure that you're speaking to the full parts of the room. And so that was a great, uh, reason. Uh, you know, I've had other things where I've had misinformation in, in giving feedback from someone, and the best times are when people say, well, Greg, I understand that that's the information you have, but I think it's important for you to understand the full context of the situation. Can I share my perspective? And I'm always open to that because I want to make the best decisions. So if I've got it wrong, I definitely want folks to be able to walk it back. So those were two situations, one where I was overenthusiastic. And another reason, another time when I just had wrong information, I made assumptions based upon, you know, kind of what I thought about a person and also uh, uh, what I had heard. Um, and in this particular situation, it wasn't true. And I was missing some data. I hire people to walk me back. Anytime I, I love uh, a relationship with the people I work with where they'll go, Alistair, hang on, you can't do that. You 100% can't do that. And that's the wrong decision. And it's always done like in a team, in a supportive way. It isn't like somebody's, you know, trying to embarrass me or anything like that. But I have always tried to hire smarter people than me around me, people with different skills, so that when we're doing what we do, we have the best information in front of us. And as the manager, I will 100% make the decisions when I have to make a decision. But I expect like, you know, you know, Greg, you know, if you and I are working together and I was the manager, I would expect you. And it's happened actually even on this podcast because we've had a discussion about which one should go out next. You go, Alistair, no, this is what I think because I'm, I'm ready to go. Right. I will make a decision. I will go and do what I have to do. And um, I, I that's what I want. I want somebody to go, no, Alistair, stop for a minute. I think things, you know, in the case of you, it was over the August long weekend and we we're choosing which one would go on a Friday, knowing that it was a long weekend and that people, you know, the listing would be down and stuff like that. And you went, no, 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 Alistair, I think this one should go out and this is the reason I went, oh, okay. That's what I expect in a working relationship. I expect it to be done politely, you know, not to, to injure me or anything like that. But most of the, I hire people that will sit around me like, you know, when we're sitting at a table, we're discussing something. I expect people to call me on something and say, listen, Alistair, I don't think we can do that. And uh, yeah. you know, there's one person I brought in for something, particularly because they had said no to me in the past and I needed help doing something. And I brought in a very specific person because I knew that that person would call me out and say, Alistair, you can't do that. We, we No, let's think about this. I know you like to just do things and get going, but we need to think about this and, and decide what's the best path. And so I have no problems with this whatsoever. I actually expect it. Uh, and, uh, as I would to somebody else saying, Hey, hang on for a minute, Greg, maybe we should hold back just for a second and talk about this. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And then have the discussion that we need to have. That's, I've always said, I enjoy partnerships and working in small groups. And part of the, 
the what happens in those groups is people will speak up and say, hey, no, 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 wait, wait, no, no, don't do that. That's crazy talk. No, don't do that. And then we have the discussion. So yes, it's happened to me and I quite frankly expect it. Yeah. And I do a lot of work, you know, around teams and, and leverage some different assessments and that type of thing. And I expand it further to say that, yeah, I want diversity of perspectives, thoughts, backgrounds, motivations, skills, because that makes it much richer. But then you got to create the environment where it's okay for folks to bring up their thoughts and ideas, uh, because that's going to be powerful when they do. That's cool. Last question perfect role in the perfect world? Well, you know what? I have to say almost where I am these days is where what I love to do. Um, You know, um, my purpose in life is to uh, help uh, individuals, teams, and organizations unlock their potential by, by creating what I call safe, brave spaces, right? Which is really having heart and head at the same time and and bringing that balance together and so i find myself being able to do that now so when you think of this kind of where i'm at in a you know as as an executive coach as someone who does almost all my work is in culture and teams and bringing the energy to life between people that's that's almost i'm so i'm almost in the perfect role perfect world taking me, uh, um, you know, a long time to get here. And I think um, you, you talked earlier around leaving roles that are unhappy. I think, again, I would encourage folks to do the work up front to say, what do you love? What are you good at? What's the kind of places that you want to make an impact? You know, there's a great tool called Ikigai, which is this Japanese uh, model of looking at those three circles and finding what's in the middle. I think actually folks can find more perfect roles in a more perfect world now if they take the time to do that versus you and I maybe discovering it like later in life. Pause, reflect, think about that now. You're not going to get it perfect, but you'll be moving towards it earlier on, I think. So that's my perfect role in a perfect world right now is what I'm living, actually. So I'm not sure what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, I have to say, people you know, occasionally say, why did you leave the police service? And uh, like, you know, didn't you want to be chief or something? It's like, absolutely not. And I go to them, there's been times when I've been in the perfect role, working at the group home. For a season, it was the perfect role. And I think I hit the highlight of my police career in terms of my satisfaction when I was you know, a detective, a sergeant, uh, you would call it a supervisor, but if you knew what we did, it's definitely a manager role. Uh, when I was working in detective command, you know, in a big super unit, you know, ho- we used to call it Hollywood. Uh, I'd reached, you know, Hey, I'm here, you know, Sherlock Holmes or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I think right now, you know, having retired last year at a very young age and I'm in a period of transition, uh, but one of the things I've learned as I get older, and it's hard for me, but is to appreciate the situation I'm in. So I've done a couple contracts. I'm now working part-time for one of those contracts. And then I'm, I'm also going to do a contract on one of the contracts. 
and 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 stuff. So I appreciate a lot of the things I'm doing right now and a lot of the people that I've met. And I'm trying to take everything out of every situation I've been in. And this has been a moment, I think you said it, of pause and of trying some things like this podcast alone. Like, oh my goodness, the things that we, we were having this technical discussion before we turned on the mic and I lost Greg at a certain point. He just wasn't interested and he tried to look interested and that's fine. But the things that we've learned how to do and just our approach to things, I don't know what the perfect role is going to be, but I know a couple things that I've kind of figured out over my careers. I like to work in close partnerships or small teams. I like just to get stuff done, you know, try new things like what we're doing here and just get on with stuff. I don't want to be, you know, the guy or, you know, Mr. In charge type person. And I don't certainly don't want to be famous, but what I've learned over these years, especially in this last year and a half since I, I, I retired is, um, what I do like, what does make the situation perfect for me is working in a partnership like you and I work. And, and I've had, you know, a couple dozen of these partnerships over my careers. And I love that. And I love working in small groups. And I just like to take care of business and I like interesting business. And I like to, I like uh, milestones where, you know, you, you've done something. So I don't know what I'm going to be doing. You know, it's, maybe I'm going to be doing much the same that I am right now in six months or a year. But I certainly do appreciate, and it's hard for me to say this, but I do appreciate the journey that I've been on and the people that have that I've met, that I work with, that I have worked with, and the people who've been, been giving me opportunities and stuff in the last you know year and a half. So I don't know really what that is, but I certainly know what it will look like and what it will feel like. And I'm perfectly uh, whether I do what I'm doing now for a couple of years or I do something new. I'm more than happy to walk through a new door at any time if that's the right thing. But I, I am very appreciative of where I am and what I've gotten to do and the people I've gotten to meet. So I will know what it is. But I think in my situation, it's always transactional. Like there's been times when I've had the perfect job and then it's over and it's time to move on to something else. I, I, don't, I don't think I could ever be have the perfect job and be stagnant. I think there's just times where you sit there and you go, this is a good deal, man. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, um, wrap up. Yeah. You know, the only thing I would say is that what I love about the speed round, uh, is great questions often create great dialogue and also great deepening of understanding. So even the questions that we went through here, what I loved about it was that it, it, it made me go right back to those moments and to find those, I call them meaningful moments in my career that made a difference. And, uh, you know, I've said this before that even asking these questions of yourselves helps you find themes and patterns of, of where you make your mark in the world and what kinds of organizations and teams that, that help you do that. So I, I just really appreciate going through these questions that's helping me, uh, think back into friends and events and situations that I so valued. And uh, I, I love the fact that questions could help us reveal those things again. Yeah, uh, this isn't much of a speed round because this is by far the longest episode we've ever taped. So it's going to be interesting to edit it. But um, I love these questions because I think it, it does bring out uh, 
some of our experience. Uh, and I just want people to know that even those negative experiences that I discussed, I took away something from. And those people that I was involved with, you know, I've had conversations with them since then. And, and I've learned so much about how, as I became a supervisor and a manager, what I thought was important in the relationship with the people that work for me. Every situation that I've been involved in, even the crappy ones, I learned something from. And in every one of those situations, I always work with good people. And when I made the decision to leave situations, because it was time, whatever it was, it was hard to leave those situations. But those people, they come with you in many ways. And, you know, I've moved around a bunch of situations and had people come along with me. I've, you know, I've gone to places because of other people. In every one of those situations, I'm glad that I went through it because I learned something about myself and other people. And there are those relationships that survived those situations that, you know, you bump into them in the street, it's a hug. Next thing you know, you're having coffee and it's like, we're back there. In two seconds, we are back there. So I like this and, you know, Greg, I know you love questions and I really like this format. I'm glad we did this again. These are the questions. These are the questions. You can go back to the the original speed round as well, because I think there's 12 questions there. I knew how long that was. So we had nine and like, it's even longer than when we had 12, but asking yourself questions and having a conversation with somebody is a really healthy thing. And it really brings back things. I I think it gives you some, uh, a kind of a window into your, you know, what's next or where you've been. It's very therapeutic. And I think having two people like us discuss it, I hope people pulled some stuff out of this. Maybe there's some commonality, whatever, but, uh, this has been pretty enjoyable. I thought this was going to be 35 minutes and I hate to tell you, Greg, we're at an hour and five minutes. This is absolutely the longest episode we've done. And we haven't even added the music to the beginning yet. So, uh, it's good, but, uh, listen, we hope, uh, some of what we've spoken about, you find helpful. We hope we didn't say anything that you found offensive or made you angry, but Greg, your philosophy, I think lands very well on this discussion as well. Yeah. Yeah. We always end by a philosophy that I learned earlier on and I actually use it in my coaching and that's, uh, the best sessions are ones in which we feel a little churn and we also feel a little joy and the churn is around. If we've heard something that either reminds us of something that we haven't done or we're maybe doing something not right. And joy is when we are making traction against doing something well. So we hope that some of the things you heard today, you maybe create a little bit of joy, a little bit of churn, uh, but both are great for learning and uh, opportunities. My printer just went off. I'm not sure if you heard that, but uh, um, we hope that you will walk away with something and learn from it, no matter what, whether it's joy or whether it's churn. That's awesome. I love that philosophy. I didn't like it the first couple of times I heard it because it made me think about stuff and uh, I don't like being told what to do, but uh, no, I love that philosophy. I think it's really, really good. So uh, folks, people matter. Take the time with the people you work with. They are an important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Take care.